Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. I was uh, looking at some of the comments that were coming in on YouTube and Facebook, and I noticed that uh, that uh, you guys are you guys are making the most of your of your time at home. Uh, I did see that uh, that there was somebody who who is watching, and and they apparently are watching in Chicago. Uh, I am uh, I do have to announce though that that this may be the last day that they watch uh, from Chicago because if you haven't heard. Uh, the Doolittle family is actually going to be reunited. Uh, Jessica's on her way to Chicago right now, and uh, they are going to be picking up Miles and Ryan and bringing him, bringing them home tomorrow. And so, uh, so we certainly are thankful for that. Uh, we are. Uh, it's been a long journey, and so I'm sure that uh, that nobody's going to be sad that they're not in Chicago watching our uh, watching our feed anymore. So they can come right over here to uh, to Flintstone and watch our feed from uh, from a more local. Uh, local place. I did see somebody ha- is having pancakes right now, and so uh, so that's uh, that's also that sounds really good. So uh, hopefully you're enjoying them, and uh, and uh, hope you in, um, again are making the most of it as uh, as we have to endure through however long this takes. You know, most of the people who are joining us right now, uh, or who will join us in the coming days. They don't really have any idea what it's like to live under a monarchy, under a under a king. As Americans, our our most common understanding of a monarch comes from our strange fascination with the British crown. Uh, for us, there's almost a a celebrity obsession with the House of Windsor. However, with this COVID nineteen crisis that we're currently experiencing, we've had a glimpse of what. Uh, unchecked power kind of looks like. Now, as a rule, we've generally all complied with the expectations and behaviors that have uh, been asked of us. Looking around the room here today, we have 10 people that are here in the room and, and no more, and the 10 that are in the room are generally scattered about. And so so even here, there is uh, compliance with what has been asked of us. And you know, we are generally going to abide by those regulations as long as we have to weather this storm. However, when we start to see governors and mayors closing businesses, restricting movement, by, by that executive fiat, we, we sort of get a taste of what it might be like to live under the reign of a monarch. Now, this should, be very, this should make us very thankful that we have the means to check the power of our government officials through the ballot box. Hopefully when we get through this, all these governors and mayors will happily give back the power that they've acquired in the past couple of weeks. You know, when we open our Bibles, however, we can't help but see that the theme of royalty is one of those, one of those themes that, that is, is woven throughout the pages of Scripture. When we talked about this, when we first started this series uh, seven weeks ago, Adam and Eve were were intended to to exercise dominion over creation. They were to function as a kind of king and queen who ruled creation as the image bearers of God. Now, they failed in their rule. And instead of ruling over creation, in a very real sense, creation ruled over them as the serpent was there to lead them astray. 
In the fallout of their failure, God promised one day that a son of Eve would crush that serpent's head. We find that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, as we have followed that promise from Genesis 3.15, we have found the language of royalty has been scattered throughout the journey. We first noticed it two weeks ago when we talked about Judah. He was the, the fourth generation from Abraham. As his father Jacob, known as Israel, was dying, he offered a blessing over Judah that indicated that he was going to ultimately lead to a king that would restore a kingdom that would satisfy all the promises that God had made, that Abraham would indeed be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, and that that serpent's head would finally and ultimately be crushed. So, we now today fast forward in our journey around four centuries. Now, it's not to say that the content we're skipping over is unimportant. I believe every word of, of the Bible is inspired. Romans 15.4 affirms this. The Apostle Paul says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of Scriptures we might have hope. But as we seek to walk through the biblical storyline... We find ourselves now in the midst of Israel, under the rule of a true king by the name of David. So let me summarize the events that lead us to this place. The nation of Israel was delivered from their bondage in Egypt. In what should have been a short trip to the land that God had promised to Abraham, they were detoured by their lack of faith and their lack of trust in God. That generation of Israelites who were slaves in Egypt, they, they died before reaching the land, but their children survived, and they go on to conquer the land under the leadership of Joshua. After Joshua, the, the nation struggled to be faithful to God, leading, leading to a series of rulers known as judges. Now, judges would rule for a season, and then there would be a season where there was no judge. The people grew weary of this arrangement, and so they begged God for a king. So they chose a guy by the name of Saul from the house of Benjamin to be their king. Now, if you're paying attention, you would have noted that Benjamin was not the royal line of Israel. God had promised that to Judah through the blessing offered by his father. So from the moment Saul is anointed as king, we know something's not quite right. And Saul, again, ends up as a failed ruler, but he paves the way for a new king, the, the house, a new king from the house of Judah known as King David. Now, David was also imperfect. He, of course, had some pretty significant failures in his life. But as a king from the tribe of Judah, and in light of God's promise to Judah that, was, that had taken place over 800 years earlier, we understand that this development is certainly significant. And so now this stage is set for us to talk about and ponder King David for a few moments today. Now, there's no way we can give David's story the attention that it deserves in just one sermon. But again, our goal is to unpack the whole, not to unpack the whole character, but to understand how each step fits into God's ultimate plan to crush the serpent and bring blessing to the nations. So if you've got your Bibles today open, I hope you're using a print copy of the Bible during this time of, of, um, of being scattered. But today we'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 
And if you're able, even at your home, I would ask you to stand as we read God's Word together from 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the promises made to King David. And I thank you how those promises fit into the grand scheme of what you communicate to us in the Bible. We thank you for the text of your word. We thank you for the, the themes that connect it. We thank you for the ultimate uh, goal of the Bible to, to point to the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead us to him. God, we pray now as we spend time today considering King David that his life might help our lives, and God, that we might be faithful as he is. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You could be seated. After Saul's miserable reign as king, is it possible as we read the Bible here that David just might be the guy that would start to write all the wrongs that had been at work since the garden, since the curse in Genesis chapter 3. Now, we know some things about David. For instance, David understood what a personal, intimate walk with God was all about. Well, how do we know? Well, just read the Psalms. Uh, so many of the Psalms, are, are, they bear his signature, and, and perhaps you're finding comfort and solace in the Psalms during this time of quarantine as you look at the, the hope and the intimacy that is contained therein. And David wrote so many of those. David experienced tremendous victory over the enemies of the people of God. I'm reminded of, of, of the first victory that he had as he slayed the giant Goliath who was cursing the, the armies of, of God. And we know David was, was both a worshiper and he was a warrior. Uh, who better to crush the serpent than someone who was a worshiper, who understood the intimacy with God, but who was also a warrior? What kind of, uh, what a victory that would be. Plus, David was of the tribe of Judah, which checked all the boxes of someone that could satisfy so many of the promises. But not only those things, but one of the things that David is best known for was his desire to build a temple for the Lord. Once he had brought rest to Israel and defeated so many of the enemies, his attention was turned towards this desire to build a temple. Now, the nation has still been using the tent that they built in the wilderness 400 years earlier. And so David wanted to give God a, a proper dwelling place that reflected his glory. He wanted to give the, the people of God a, a central, safe, personal, permanent place where they could worship. In a sense, David was, was working to restore the conditions lost in the garden by building a place where God's presence could dwell with his people forever, where his people could come and they could meet with him and they could worship him. However, David was not given God's blessing to build a temple. God tells David in 1 Chronicles 22 verse 8, 
The word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you've shed so much blood before me on the earth. But we also recognize there's something much bigger that's at work here. Something much larger than just David's bloody hands. And we see that it's at work in our focus passage for today. You see, David wanted to build a a stunning brick and mortar, a house of cedar as it is known in the Bible, a, a, a house for the Lord in the city of Jerusalem where the people of Israel could meet and worship. And from everything we read, David's intentions were noble. They were coming from a good place in in the king's heart. This wasn't about vanity where David could build a a beautiful temple and he could put his name on it and and say it was for the Lord. This wasn't about his legacy, about leaving something for the next generation. The king, a, a man after God's own heart, truly wanted to leave something behind for the people of God to worship God. It wasn't from an evil place. But while David was thinking about a house of stone where Israel could meet for worship, we find in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that God was thinking about a house where all nations might come together and worship. Not a a place in Jerusalem. God had a much bigger perspective in mind. David was thinking about a place for God's presence to dwell there in the city. But God was thinking about a much larger house where where he would dwell and where David's line would reign forever and where all the people of God could come together and worship. Now, David's temple building project would go on. It would be carried out by his son, Solomon. We read this, of course, in the scriptures. However, God's building project that was much broader was well underway Also, God was establishing David's house forever. You know, it reminds me today, as we see David working through this and understanding that God has a bigger plan than just a brick-and-mortar temple, you know, we need to keep in mind the divine perspectives on our situations as well. You know, this... David had one thing in mind, a great and noble temple, a goal that was admirable, But God wasn't thinking in terms of that brick-and-mortar structure. God was thinking in terms of eternity. And God would show over and over again that the temple was never permanent. It was something that could easily be taken away by God, by the enemies of God's people. It was something that, that God's glory could depart from. In fact, when we flip over into the book of Revelation, we find that there's not even a temple in the heavenly city because the presence of God is there and no temple is needed. And so over and over again, God shows us that, that the temple is a very, a very temporary solution. It's more permanent than the tabernacle, but it is a very temporary solution. In fact, it has been built and torn down twice. Evil men have committed unholy acts in its halls. And even today, the hill where the majestic temple of Yahweh once stood, there stands a Muslim mosque. Even David's son Solomon, who built the temple, understood that the temple, in all of its glory, in all of its majesty, was no substitute for the majesty of God. He said in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, Who is able to build a house for God since heaven, even the highest heaven, cannot contain him? Who am I to build a house for him except as a place to make offerings before him? 
Solomon understood that the temple was not a, a satisfactory house for the Lord. It was simply a place where people could come and, and offer sacrifices in much the same way that, that we need to continue to appreciate that, that what we're doing today, while, while it is helpful to help us as a body stay connected, it is helpful for us to, to have a diversion from the, from the monotony of, of what's been asked of us, this is by no means, by no means, an acceptable replacement for the gathered people of God. We are thankful for the people who are here this morning who are making it work. We're thankful for all the different moving parts and pieces, but it is no substitute for the body gathered together in worship. You know, I think we lose that divine perspective in, in so many ways. Even again, considering our current health crisis, have you ever considered how this looks from the divine perspective? You know, I've, I've become convinced from the moment that it became clear that we would not be able to have public gatherings, that this would bring about a much-needed correction to our perspective. You know, the church isn't about all the stuff of the church. Sometimes we conflate the two. We, we take the stuff of our faith and we equate that to the reality of our faith. And that's simply not true. The church isn't about all the stuff of our faith. I think of how many times our congregations as churches have fought and argued over absolutely inconsequential things. How many churches in, in history have been split over things that, that, were, that were matters of preference, that weren't even matters of biblical conviction? How many churches have died because of their commitment to non-biblical opinions and preferences? I just can't help but think that when we as the church do this, that we bring so much reproach to the name of Christ, when we fight and bicker over stuff that's not going to matter 10 years from now, much less 10,000 years from now, how much reproach do we bring upon the body of Christ? I'm going to tell you all this. If I can just be honest and transparent, after dealing with this for just three weeks, more than anything in this world, I just want to see folks face to face. In the body of Christ, gathered together. That doesn't have to be in this building. We can meet out in the field. Well, I don't care. I just want to see the body of Christ gathered together face to face. It don't matter what we're wearing, what we're singing. It doesn't matter. I just want to see the body of Christ come together face to face. I want to pray together. Sing together. Break bread together. Read the Bible together. All the other stuff. I don't think it's going to matter 10 years from now, 10,000 years from now. If you don't get through this quarantine or social distancing or whatever term we want to use to call it, if you don't get through it without a renewed longing to be part of the body, then you've missed the point completely. We need to be looking at this from a divine perspective, not just the, not just the, 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 the human perspective. I think there's a much bigger story to tell. And of course, that goes on in so many other circumstances and situations where we get so focused on the here and now that we miss the bigger picture of what God is wanting to do. David simply wanted a building project, but God wanted to build a, a temple for the nations. He wanted to do something so much greater than what David had in mind, and God would certainly do that. Now, as we read for, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, at first glance, it seems that one of David's sons might just be the one 
who could right all the wrongs. It seems that's what God is, is promising here. However, built into the promise that God makes to establish the house of David forever, there's also the promise of discipline. In fact, the promise of discipline gets much more serious over in 1 Kings 9, in chapter 9. There God tells Solomon, David's son, who would build the temple, if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them. And the house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. Hold on just a second. How can God establish David's house forever in one generation and in another generation threaten to wipe out the nation? How can God do that? Did he have a change of heart? Did he change on us here? No, not at all. Therein lies the beauty of what God's doing. Listen to me. God's not building a nation. God's building a kingdom. God's not building a nation. God is building a kingdom. And that kingdom is not simply made up of one ethnic group. It's not simply made up of the Jews. It's not simply made up of that, of that single group. In God's plan, the kingdom that he's building, it's made from people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And as we will see, that kingdom is ruled by a son of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who would bring Abraham's blessing to the whole world, the seed of Eve that will crush the serpent's head, the second Adam that will right all of the wrongs established by the first Adam. And today, God wants you to be part of that kingdom. We have a king, and his name is Jesus. I love how Dr. Lockridge of Calvary Baptist Church, an old black preacher over in San Diego, he said it like this, the Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And the Lord of lords. That's my king. You know, the fact of the matter is that every human being who's ever lived going to have to do business with Jesus. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to tell you today that the King of Kings wants you to be part of his kingdom today. He wants you to bow before him today as a worshiper and not have to bow before him later as a judge. That's our King. 
That's the king that David would point to. That's the king that would establish the throne of David forever and ever and ever. And that is the king that adopts us and brings us into his family as sons and daughters of the Most High. God wants you today to be part of his kingdom. I would invite you today to take advantage of the offer to be part of the king part of the kingdom, and reign with the king. Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for the good news of Jesus. I thank you, Father, that the storyline of Scripture, in no uncertain terms, brings us to Jesus. I thank you that even though David's line was failed and flawed in so many ways, that you kept your promise to King David that there would always be a a ruler from the line of David sitting on the throne. His name is Jesus. Today the offer is extended to any that would believe and put their faith and trust in Christ that they could be brought into this, this kingdom as, as subjects under the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God, what a great and awesome offer. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.